Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Amen, amen. As we return to our seats, Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give God a praise in this house, people of God. Amen. God is good. And his mercy endures to all generations. Amen. I want to take a moment and welcome you to Refresh Community Church. My name is Pastor Carlos Smith, and I am the lead pastor of this wonderful church, and I'm just so glad that you all, thank you, thank you. I'm so glad. (laughs) I'm so glad that you all are here with us to worship with us today. Um, Before I jump into the word, I just got a um, couple of quick announcements to put before you. Um, This won't affect our service because it's happening at the 11, but I just want us as one church to have an opportunity to celebrate uh, that this Sunday we have three more baptisms. Amen. Amen. I just want us to praise God for that. They're they're happening um, at the 11. It's a a family, a mother and her two children. Uh, But I'm grateful that the Lord continues to add to his church such as should be saved. Amen. Um, And I'm just letting y'all know so y'all can celebrate, be praying for our our 11 o'clock service and to let y'all know, you know, they email me. You know, we have dates that we set aside uh, in the calendar for baptism, but we believe uh, that Christians, when they encounter the water, that we're saved by faith. uh, But the Bible says we must be born of the water and of the spirit. And there's a special experience of grace that God gives to us when we follow him in obedience through the waters of baptism. And so um, I just want to want y'all to be celebrating, to be praying, um, and then also to know, you know, if you still uh, need to follow the Lord in obedience, if you've come to faith in Jesus and you're walking with him and you call him uh, your savior, that the waters of baptism are always moving here at Refresh Community Church. Amen. Amen. Um, and then another thing I want to tell us is that, um, have y'all enjoyed these Black History Month celebrations uh, this month? Amen. Amen. God is good. So grateful. Um, y'all know um, that next Sunday um, is, a, is a tradition uh, that we have. Uh, they often uh, is celebrated in the black church, but we have brought it on over here to refresh, and it's Africa Sunday. Um, and that's a Sunday when we invite everyone to wear their African garb to celebrate uh, the contributions of our black brothers and sisters throughout the diaspora to our faith. Um, I've been celebrating all month long. Y'all know all month long. I've been dashikied out, kente cloth. Today, um, I got on on a, I got on Augustine of Hippo on my sweatshirt. Uh, now, contrary to what a lot of those pictures and paintings you see, he was a whole African. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. I don't care how many times they paid him without any melanin. He was an African, okay? Um, and y'all know, you know, some of this, I, I just want to take a minute and share this. Y'all know that some of this is spiritual warfare, right? Um, because one of the lies that the enemy likes to propagate, particularly in the African-American community, is that Christianity is somehow a white man's religion. Um, and that's just a lie, y'all. It's Christianity. Jesus is a universal savior for people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And 
there's a, there's a good book. If you're, if you're wrestling with that question or you know somebody that is, there's a good book I recommend to you. It's called How, Afri um, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind uh, by Thomas Oden. And he chronicles uh, the first 400 years of Christianity was cradled in Africa. You do know um, that the oldest church that we have that's extant is in Ethiopia. Um, don't know the last time you've seen an Ethiopian, uh, but um, they're, they're, they're African peoples, amen? Um, did you know the, some of the oldest extant copies of the New Testament predating, you know, folks to get up, people take Nicaea and just take a whole and just put any, anything they don't like, they just blame it on Nicaea. Before Nicaea, um, the oldest manuscripts, some of the oldest manuscripts that we have of the entire Bible and codices and things of that nature, guess where they're at? Ethiopia. That we have them. This, this is not imaginary. So that book um, will help to dispel some of that misinformation that's rampant in some of our communities. But anywho, next Sunday, uh, we're going to celebrate Africa Sunday, and it's going to be a celebration. So come on out. Um, if you got some African garb, throw it on, and we are going to celebrate together. And I'm going to be extra. I've been, I've been, I've been having my dashikis on all month, but I'm going to be extra African next Sunday. So I'm um, looking forward to it. Uh, but as we look towards the Word of God, we're going to continue in the book of Luke. As you all know, uh, we are preaching through the gospel of Luke, and we are continuing that journey because we believe an inerrant Bible demands expositional preaching. Amen? So that we preach the entire counsel of God. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, and we're starting at verse 11 today. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. If you would stand with me in reverence to God's Word. Luke 7, 11. And when you have it, give me an amen. 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 And it'll be on your screens for your convenience. Here's the word of the Lord. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, our Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. God, I thank you this morning that you were moved with compassion. That, God, you saw what this widow was going through, God, and you did not harden your heart, but, God, you allowed your heart to be touched with suffering, and with her loss. God, I thank you that you continue to be moved with compassion at our suffering and loss. God, visit us today and speak your word to us and encourage us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 You may have your seats. I want to talk to us for just a couple minutes from the thought, a compassionate interruption. A compassionate interruption. Several years ago, um, I think I may have shared this with you guys already, several years ago as an act of self-care and love for myself, I turned my news notifications off on my, smone, uh, on my smartphone because, you know, I'd be going about, I'd be having a great day, life would be going good, I'd be feeling good, I'd be, you know, pastoring and shepherding people, loving God's people. Then all of a sudden I get a news notification from Apple News or the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or whoever, and I get a new notification that ruins my day. Um, without question, I do not believe that we as human beings were built for omniscience. 
It could be a crisis uh, that's happening near or far. It could be happening in my community or a different community. It may be happening on the shores of America, or it may be happening far in far-flung places that I've never been to. But these uh, moments would just interject throughout my day. And I turned off the notifications because I just felt, and I still watch the news, I still take it in, but I just felt I need to do that at a controlled time, at a focused time, rather than just throughout the day every time something happens. Now, um, I, I do kind of miss it a little bit because it definitely improved my prayer life. Um, sometimes I would get these notifications and I would stop and I would pray right uh, on the face of it once I got it. But as I would get these notifications and be bombarded with the suffering of the world, because rarely was it a notification about good news, it pressed me to a question and it caused me to ask over and over again, does Jesus care? You see, as I looked at many of these overwhelming stories about suffering and death and famine and war and so much going on in the world, even as a preacher who preaches the good news of Jesus, even as somebody believes that God is sovereign and have a purpose, I started to ask God, with all this suffering in the world, do you actually care? You see, I asked the question that some of us, if we're honest, are asking does Jesus care about the hundreds of thousands of women and children who have perished in Gaza in the conflict between Israel and Hamas? Does Jesus care that the greatest humanitarian crisis right now in the world is actually not in Gaza at all, but it's actually in Sudan, where 10 million people are displaced and over 25 million are in danger of starving because of war and famine? Does Jesus care that our inner cities in America have become a war zone, and right across the street at U-City High School, just last week, there was a student brandishing a gun that they had to apprehend. Does Jesus care, to bring it a little bit closer to you, that I'm sick? Does Jesus care that I can't find a job? Does Jesus care that I don't know my purpose in life? Does Jesus care that my child is disabled? Does Jesus care that my marriage is on the brink of collapse? Does Jesus care that I have cancer? Does Jesus care that I'm depressed, anxious, and despondent and taking medication just so I can function? Has anybody asked, does Jesus actually care? You see, this is one of the most poignant, persistent, prodding, and plaguing questions of human existence. And if you have a pulse in this room, it doesn't matter whether you're old or young, black, white, Republican, or Democrat, rich or poor, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, if you're honest, you have wrestled with this question of whether or not Jesus cares. You see, deists answered this question by concluding that if God does exist, he cannot possibly care, and he just winds up the universe like a clock and set it on the shelf of time and space and has walked away. Atheists had to conclude that he can exist because they don't see proof, and life seems randomized at worst, and at best is driven by the impersonal laws of physics. Agnostic says they can't know if he exists because if he does, he needs to do a better job of making himself known amongst the suffering in the world. Does Jesus actually care? And as believers... I want you to know that if you are wrestling with this question, this question is just not the place of unbelievers, but it's the question of believers as well. In fact, I would submit to you that that Bible that we take a rather high view of here at Refresh Community Church is full of believers and people of faith asking the same question. Does, 
Does Jesus care? The psalmist asks this question. He says, God, where are you when my enemies are surrounding me? God, it seems that you are seeking to destroy me. God, it seems that your arrows are piercing me through. Do you care? This is the question that the storms tossed disciples asked a sleeping Jesus in the Gospel of Mark as he slept in the stern of a ship as they were about to drown. Lord, do you care? And Jesus sent me today with a spiritual push notification to interrupt the suffering and struggles of your life. And the ringing, reverberating, resounding answer to those of us who are despondent and downcast in this text text is yes, Jesus does care about our suffering. Not only do we see Jesus caring about our suffering, but this text says that I have compassion on you. This this picture of compassion is not just uh, something that we would call sympathy. I understand where you are, but this is empathy. I feel where you are. I have entered your suffering. I am moved by your suffering. And when God is touched with our suffering, God actually begins to move to alleviate our suffering. This text shows us the promises of lamentation is still true. Though the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. People of God, if you want to know what this sermon is all about and what I'm trying to put before you, it is one simple statement. Jesus does care. Jesus cares and has compassion on your suffering, on your frustration, on your anxiety, on your financial troubles, on your physical troubles. Jesus cares about us. And in this text this morning, we see Jesus caring for the least of these. He interrupts the funeral procession as it leaves a little town called Nain. Nain was a small town, only about 200 people. It was small even by those standards. And on his way from just performing a miracle, he has a crowd of people who are with him who are excited about the miracles that he has done. And so there's a crowd following the son of life through the Judean countryside, but there's another crowd that's following the son who has died. And as they are coming out of the city to go outside the city to bury this young man, there would have been flutes and professional mourners as they mourned the life of this young man who died too soon. You ever want to go to a sad funeral or a big funeral? It is most certainly one of someone who died too soon. It's likely that this whole community was ravaged by the sorrow and the sadness that came from this young man, and then his mother was there. How would the writer know? How would Luke know? How would Jesus know that this was the mourner? Because she would have been the one who would have been clothed in a mourner's garment, who would have torn her outer garments and put ashes and dust on her face as she followed the casket of her only son. And so as Jesus is coming and has just healed and demonstrated his power, he meets another crowd who is mourning and sad about life. But it is this crowd and this widow upon whom Jesus places his compassion. And there are a few things that I believe this text teaches us about the compassion of Jesus. And I'm just going to give them to you and I'll be out your way. That it teaches us about Christ's compassion. And here's what I believe this text says. It teaches us that because of his compassion, Jesus is able to see the unseen. Because of his compassion, Jesus sees the unseen. Look at verse 12, that as he draws near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the son of his mother, and she was a widow, 
and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And I want you to look at verse 13 because I think a lot of the freight of this passage is in verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion. When the Lord saw the widow, he had compassion. Anytime you see God exercising the five senses, I don't care whether you are in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you need to pay special attention because God never is anthropomorphized for no reason. Anytime God sees, hears, touches, or moves, it has theological significance and import. And here he sees this woman. Please, people of God, don't just read over the fact that she's a woman. Don't read your Bible too fast because the fact that she is a woman is not inconsequential to this text. The fact that she is a woman in a patriarchal culture tells us already that she is on the low end of the totem pole. The fact that she is a woman in a patriarchal culture who now is a widow. She only had a couple of options because this son was the, her only lifeline to care and to economic stability. There was no public assistance. There was no Medicaid. There was no EBT cards. There was no WIC. She had two options, beg or give herself to a life of being a woman of the night. Those were her options for economic stability now that she had no son and no husband. You see, the fact that she was a woman already marginalized her, and there was someone who once said that women are the most discriminated and marginalized and minority group on the earth, that in many cultures, they often experienced everything that is bad. When there's war, when there's famine, it's often the women and the children who suffer the most. And what we see in this text and throughout the Gospel of Luke, we're going to encounter it over and over and over again that women are often the objects of Jesus' compassion and exemplars of the faith. Throughout Luke, we witness Jesus ministering to, affirming, embracing, empowering, and uplifting women. And so the fact that she's a woman and that Jesus sees her, and that she is a member of a group that is historically invisible, lets us know that Jesus in his compassion sees us when the rest of the world does not. You see, Jesus sees her. He, he sees her when the rest of the world would render her invisible, when the rest of the world would forget her, when the rest of the world would marginalize her and push her to the side. It is there that Jesus sees her. And today, I want to talk to my sisters and encourage them that Jesus sees you where you are, even if you are elderly or you have chronic pain or you suffer from mental health issues. Jesus, the Son of God, sees you right where you are. What I love about it is that he sees her and he enters her suffering. And then he says something that's just flat out weird. He sees a woman who is coming out about to bury her own son. He meets them at the city gate, which tells us that he is already, they've already traversed through much of the city. And to bury someone is to go outside the city gate, which means they were close to the cemetery. If you've ever been in a funeral procession, they have driven most of the way, and here they are about to put the young man in the tomb, and Jesus said something that is flat out weird, and what they tell me in pastoral counseling, you don't ever say to anyone in a time of grief. He says, do not weep. The woman, who's already forgotten in the patriarchal society, who's a widow, she has no husband, now she is childless. She has no son. The woman who is in a most vulnerable position, Jesus says, don't cry. Do not weep. You know, I don't like people that do this, you know. 
I'll never forget it, day of my life. My family was going through something. My wife was in the hospital. I was beside myself because y'all know and husbands know that when you're a husband who can't help his wife who's sick, you just feel absolutely paralyzed. There's nothing you can do. And I was just hurt and I just had to trust these doctors who I didn't really like that much because I didn't like how they was already treating her. And, and you know, a well-meaning Christian brother, he meant well. He, he meant well. He did. And this, this situation was very fresh. She had just went through this. And this brother showed up to visit at the hospital. And I, I was glad to see him. Thank you so much uh, for the visit. Appreciate it, blah, blah, And he said, you know, he looked at me and he said, well, you know, brother, I just want to tell you that all things work together for good. And I, you know, you know I, I know Romans. I know Romans 8. I done read it a couple times, you know. But in that moment, it, it just wasn't a time, you know? It was just like, my wife is laying up in the bed. She's sick. I can't do nothing. I got to trust these people. I'm thinking about all the his, uh, health disparities for African-American women in this country, and I got to trust a bunch of doctors that I don't know, and I can't do nothing. And you're going to quote Romans 8 right now? And I just stared at him, and God, thank God for the Holy Ghost. You know, he just... Because I be need, that's half the Holy Ghost function in my life is making me shut up. That's easily 50% of what the Holy Spirit does in my life. He just took the muzzle and I just said, thank you. <laughs> and I sent him on his way. He could not leave that hospital room fast enough. You are telling me that all things work together and I don't know what the outcome is going to be for my wife. And this man made me mad. Y'all want to know why? Because he wasn't Jesus. You see, if I come to you and you're weeping and you're heartbroken because your child is dead, you're sick, your money is messed up, you don't know what tomorrow looks like, and I just tell you don't cry about it, I am a bad pastor. But if Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who is able to bring life and restoration and revival tells you not to cry, you know that he is going to act. And so he tells this Jewish widow not to cry because he knew he was about to flex his divine prerogative and give this heartbroken woman a foretaste of the eschatological promise when he would dry every tear from every eye, when he would, death would be no more and there would be no more crying or mourning and pain. And so he knew that the end time restoration and revival and resurrection was about to invade the life of this little widow. And people of God, that's been soaking your pillows with the salty tears of despair. Jesus gave me a prophetic word for you today that he is going to dry every tear that you are shedding in your life. That he's going to give you comfort, that he's going to give you beauty for ashes, that he's going to give you the oil of joy for your mourning, and that he is going to heal the broken and dislocated places in your life. Is there anybody here that needs Jesus to dry the tears? So in this text, we see Jesus. He sees the unseen. He sees these, this woman who is historically forgotten about, pushed to the side, marginalized. He dignifies her. He uplifts her. And he, she becomes the object of his compassion. And he says, don't cry because I am about to move on your behalf. But do you want to know what's fascinating about this text? Jesus ain't had one interact. The Bible ain't said nothing at all that he cares about the dead man. The Bible doesn't say that he has compassion because the young man is dead. The Bible doesn't say that he is worried because there are mourners and crying. The only object of compassion has been the woman until verse 14. Then he comes up, he approaches, 
and he touches the beer or the casket. In this culture, he wasn't in a casket. As we think about it, he was on a slab, and he was wrapped over and over and over again, and he was laid flat and wrapped in a shroud. And Jesus comes up, and he touches the beer. And what this tells us is that because of his compassion, Jesus sees the unseen, but also because of his compassion, Jesus touches the unclean. Says he comes up, he touches the beer. He touches where the dead man is laying. Didn't Jesus know? I know he was the Logos and he was God in the flesh, but didn't he know that according to Numbers 19, that he was rendered unclean for touching a dead man? He was unclean for seven days. Surely he knew that according to Jewish custom, that now that he had touched a dead man, the stench of death was upon him and he could not enter into the holies of holies. Didn't Jesus know that they had already performed the check and made sure, according to Jewish custom, that he was no longer breathing, that there was no longer a pulse, and that they had ceremonially closed his eyes one last time? Didn't Jesus know that there was no reason for him to defile himself? And as I wrestled with this text, I asked, why does he touch the unclean? Why does he touch the beer? Why does he touch this young man knowing that it would render him unclean? And I wrestled with it and I asked God and I prayed and I read commentaries. I did Greek and Hebrew. And the Lord said, I got a deep theological answer for you. I say, Lord, give it to me so I can look smart in front of all them people. Because I want to be deep. And he said, because I'm Jesus. That's why. Because, because I'm, I'm Jesus. You're looking for something deep. You're looking for something profound. But here's what's profound. Whenever I show up, though the presence of death may defile you, the power of my life expels death. What Jesus showed me in this text that when life and death are on a collision course, death has to move out the way and life has the right of way when Christ is there. And so what the Lord showed me is that whatever we are wrestling with, whatever things are in our life, whatever things are dead, broken, unclean, that if Jesus can touch it, the funeral procession is over. And so, child of God, I know you got some stuff in your life that you are ready to bury. You're ready to bury the marriage. You're going to call the lawyer on Monday. You're ready to give up on your situation. You've thrown all the money at it that you can throw at it. You've used all your connections. You've talked to every therapist. You've seen every doctor. But Jesus asked me to interrupt you today is to let you know that his compassion won't let you bury it just yet. You see, you don't have to bury it because a touch from Jesus is put there to let you know that his life-giving power is on the way. His life-giving presence is all you need. His life-giving dunamis is all that you need to see restoration and resurrection in your life. And so Jesus, because of his compassion, he sees the unseen. Then he touches the unclean, rather unnecessarily so, because as I was reading the text, I just knew the man was going to get up when he touched it. But he didn't. They just stopped walking. That's all that happens. But what happens when we see Jesus' compassion on display here? We see he sees the unseen. We see he touches the unclean. But lastly, because of his compassion, Jesus raises the dead things. He comes up. He stops the coffin from moving. He just stops it. And they stop moving because you don't bury things that Jesus touched. And then he spoke his word. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. Verse 15, and the dead man set up and started talking. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Look, look at this. Jesus said, young man, 
I say to you, arise. I already told you that he was strapped to a gurney. This wasn't as simple as it sounded. He was wrapped up and bound in death. So before he sat up, before he arose, he had to be loosed so that he could move. But this young man started moving. They had already checked and made sure that he was dead. They had already closed his eyes. And this young man got loose and he set up at the word of Christ because Jesus is proof positive God in the flesh because only God can barah, can create out of nothing, can by his word sustain and give life. And the young man sits up and starts talking. I was, I was watching a sermon by Dr. Marcus Cosby, and he said he wondered what the young man was talking about. And I, I asked the same question. What, what do you say? What, what do you say when Jesus raised you from the dead? And I agree with Dr. Cosby. I don't know what all he said, but I think he at least had to say thank you. I think he at least had to give God a praise from bringing him from death back to life, from resurrecting him from the grave back to life. And child of God, when God begins to raise things in your life, the least you can say is thank you. So he says, thank you for reviving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for resurrecting me. Thank you for restoring me. Thank you for putting hold the broken places in my life. God, thank you for everything that you have done. So the dead man, Jesus speaks a word because he's God. You know, people who get worked up, could Jesus, was this really, did he just resuscitate him? Did he, was he actually dead? Listen, when, when you got Genesis 1 and God creates everything from nothing and create the sun, uh, light four days for the sun, the, getting a man up off a gurney is light work. And, and, and so th th it really ain't that big of a deal. That lets you know, argument from greater to lesser, that whatever situation you're wrestling with, whatever things you're frustrated about, whatever got you down, depressed, and in the mud, all God's got to do is speak a word. And his word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to bring back to life all the dead things in your life. And so this, this is light work. I, I just get, you know, and I'm a theologian. I got a PhD and all that stuff. And theologians just get on my nerves sometimes. They just get on my nerves because God is just God. And his word is enough to sustain you. His word is enough to heal you. His word is enough to bring the dead things back to life. And so he, he speaks through the power of his words, recreates, reanimates, breathes again the breath of life in this young man's love, in his lungs, causes him to sit up, wrestle himself out. The young man starts talk. He had to give God praise in that moment. And then, look at this. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Verse 15, then he gives him to his mother. Don't read that too fast. Y'all know what I like about this. He gives the young man to his mother because this young man was actually the incarnational means for God to provide holistic care for this widow. That he, he was the one who was going to be here. First of all, he healed this woman's broken heart by giving her her son back. And, you know, it's unnatural for a mother to bury her son. And so he heals her heart by giving her her son. He protects her physically. Because this woman was vulnerable in a patriarchal context. He provides for her economically because now this son could work and take care of mama. You know, back then they didn't put mama in a home. They had mama live with them until mama went home to be with the Lord. And so now he was able to live out the fifth commandment and care for mama. Mama was secure. This young man was a means of grace to his mother. And here's my point. I know some of y'all are like, Lord, is this guy focused on just us? Is it just all about me getting mine? But here's the deep secret that's written in this text. Sometimes your miracle ain't got nothing to do with you at all. 
Never does this text say that Jesus raised him because he was dead. Do you know Jesus had to walk past the cemetery to get to where this young man was? And he didn't raise nobody else. Death didn't move Jesus. His compassion for this woman. This young man experienced a miracle because God wanted to provide for the mother. And so what God told me to let you know is that he is trying to bless, restore, and revive you so you can be a blessing to somebody else. So often when God brings about our restoration and our blessing, it's often just secondarily for us. He wants to regulate your finances so that you can be generous and be a blessing to somebody else. He wants to regulate your mind so that you can be whole and healed, so you can pour in and mentor someone else. He wants you to grow in grace so that you can pour into young men and young women who needs to see an example of what godliness looks like. But mama, mama, I know she, I, I can't imagine the joy and, the, and the, the, the way she had to feel in this moment. And, and I wish, I wonder, if mama knew that on that day, she hadn't received one son, but two. You see, it says that Jesus gave her back her only son. Monogenesis is the Greek word. The one and only unique son, he gave her back. Do y'all know this is the same phrase that John uses in John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only monogenesis, one and only son. You see, mama received back her son from death to life. But what she did not notice that she also received the son who was on his way from life to death. You see, because Jesus is continuing his march to Calvary when he is going to give his life for the life of that young man, for mama, for me, and for you. And so God says, I'm going to give you this son, but I got one more son for you. And child of God, the reason why we know that we're going to be okay, the reason why we know that our eyes are going to be dried is because God has already given us his one and only son who's going to do everything that he promised to do. He gave up his life on that cross so that he can purchase you not just from sin, but from death, suffering, the pain, the oppression. And he says that my life on the cross that I gave for you is my gift for you. The question is, Will you receive it? You see, mama receives and experiences the life of the only son. And I believe this is why Jesus had compassion, had empathy. He didn't just understand what she felt. He felt what she felt. Because God the Father, in a few more chapters, is going to know what it's like to be bereft of his only son. But the beauty of this son that she received is that he came to give his life and to enter into our suffering. And people of God, this is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what the gospel is about. That God is not aloof from our pain and our suffering. That he doesn't just look down and say, man, that's crazy what they're going through on earth. But he puts on a body of flesh, incarnates, and check this out, lives for 30 years in the broken mess that is our world. When you're praying about the heartbrokenness and the heartache and the pain and the suffering that you can't get your head around, Jesus has seen it all. And he entered into it all so that he can feel the full weight. Hebrews says we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect tempted as we are yet without sin. And then look what we get to do, y'all. We can draw close with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive and experience grace and help in the time of need. You know, 
I, um, it's been an uproar about it. I, you know, Christians get weird and fight about their own stuff all the time. There was these Super Bowl commercials saying that he gets us. It was folks washing the feet of, of black and white, old and young, gay and straight, everybody just, just washing feet. And, and I knew when I saw the commercials, I was like, it's going to be somebody somewhere who mad about this. Sure enough, the blogosphere lit up. But I just have learned, just like I did my notifications, I just turned this stuff off. I ain't got time. But what I loved about it was just simply saying that Jesus, he gets us. He, he understands us wherever we are, whoever we are. And I believe this text is saying that. That wherever you are, whatever you experience, Jesus gets it. He's entered your suffering and he is saying that you can come and you can lay your burdens down. You can come boldly to the throne of grace so that you can experience grace and find help in your time of need. So my answer to the question that I posed at the beginning is simple. Jesus cares. And not only does Jesus care, he's going to fix it. For some of us, like this widow, he's going to fix it in time. But well, my pastor, Pastor Stubblefield, used to always tell me, God has all of time and eternity to keep his promises for you. And some of us are going to see those promises, see those things healed in time and space. For some of us, it's going to be eternity. But here is what Jesus says. I am going to heal everything and resurrect everything in your life that's broken. Will you receive it? Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you. That God, as we face the broken things of this world, God, we are assured that you do, in fact, care. God, we thank you that you have not left us to experience the suffering and brokenness of this world by ourselves. God, thank you for the incarnation. Thank you for entering into our condition and causing us to experience your grace and your love. Father, some of us are experiencing brokenness and pain and all kind of things. God, remind us of your promised presence, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, that your compassions are new every morning, and that you are eager to pour out your grace upon us. Thank you for this widow. Thank you for lifting up our sisters. Thank you for dignifying them throughout your word. Meet us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand together. We're going to worship. But I would encourage you, if as we worship, there will be brothers and sisters down here who will be praying and who can help you bear some of those burdens. Some of y'all got some things you need to lay down. The altar will be open. There'll be brothers and sisters who can minister to you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.